0: Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys. My name is uh, Tim. I'm the pastor here. And uh, if you're new with us, we love it that you're here. We have a lot of new people with us. You just saw them up here singing. Didn't they do a good job? Can we just thank them one more time? We should thank them because they didn't just commute from Mesa or uh, West Phoenix, which is maybe where some of you guys commuted from. They commuted from the great nation of Texas. So. You thought your commute was bad, theirs is is worse, but uh, thank you guys so much for being here. This is their second year with us in a row, so some of you guys will remember these guys from last year. Uh, This week, they're going to do something similar to what we did last year. They've come all this way to serve on mission with us in downtown Phoenix, so they're going to put on a vacation Bible school. This week, 9 a.m. to noon, right in this neighborhood at Aim Right Ministries, if you have kids, and they're not in school, we'd love for you guys to be a part of this. If you want to help out, and partner with these guys, we'd love for you guys to be a part of this. Wednesday night, we're going to have a huge celebration, same place, to Aim Right Ministries, 6.30 p.m. And you can show up, even if you can't come to the VBS, you can show up for that and just celebrate, eat food, talk to people about Jesus. There'll be inflatables, all kinds of fun stuff. Invite people back for Easter. We're going to be there doing that as well. So that's Wednesday night, Monday through Thursday is the VBS. So we're so thankful you guys are here. Uh, partner with them. Let's show them. AZ hospitality, amen? Ah, kind of. I'm not too confident about the AZ hospitality. I, I don't think we can compete with Texas hospitality, but let's show them some AZ hospitality, okay? So go give them a hug after the service. Thank them for coming. See how you can serve them as they serve us, amen? Amen. All right, let's do that. Uh, I am excited to start this new series in the book of Colossians today. Uh, We just spent the last few weeks talking about work and vocation. So if you missed that, go back and listen to that online. But today we start this new book of the Bible, Colossians. And what I love about this book is it's four chapters, 95 verses, and about half of them reference Jesus. And so it's saturated with Jesus. And the big banner that flies over the top of Colossians is the supremacy of Jesus Christ. That word supremacy, it means that Jesus is not just important, he is preeminent. That he's first and best over all of creation, over all of your life. And so as Paul frames this up, Paul the Apostle, as he writes this, this banner of supremacy of Christ, the sufficiency of Christ... Over everything in creation, over everything in your life, that's where he's taking us. And the way that ties into your life is over and over we see this idea of being rooted in Jesus Christ, of being established in Jesus Christ, of walking in Jesus Christ, of becoming mature in Jesus Christ. Because if Christ is supreme over all, then we should grow up into him. And so 15 times in this book, you see this phrase, in Christ or similar, in Christ, in him, in God. Because you, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, as you look at the supremacy of Christ, you are in him. So all of your life, all of your behavior, all of your personality, all of your preferences are under the supremacy of Christ. And so Paul, over and over, is going to call us to mature in that to take next steps in that. And as we start this book of the Bible, that's my prayer for you. My prayer for you is that throughout this series that you would take a next step in your maturity in Jesus Christ. That you would see the supremacy, the sufficiency of Christ. He's first, he's best, he's not just important. He is preeminent. And that your response to that would be to walk, to take a next step, whatever that is for you to be rooted, established, mature, in Christ, if you just met Jesus this morning, or if you met him 20 years ago, whatever the case is for you, you would take a next step during this series. So some of you, that next step may just be as simple as coming here on a Sunday. Just be here. say, hey, I want to dive into this series over the next few months and learn what the supremacy of Christ even means. Like, what does that look like, Tim, to take a next step in my maturity? I want to learn what that means. Maybe that's your step is just come to church on a Sunday. Maybe for some of you, it's dusting off your Bible or grabbing one of the Bibles on the armrest near you and say, hey, I'm going to take this with me. You can take it with you. If you don't have one, that's our gift to you. And I'm going to read through Colossians. It's four chapters, 95 verses. You could read through the whole book in one sitting in 20 minutes. right? So maybe that's your step, is I'm going to saturate, soak in God's Word. Maybe for some of you, your step is going to be baptism. You're a new believer, or you were a believer for a long time, but you've never followed up in baptism. We're going to have baptisms on Easter in a few weeks, and some of you are going to go down in the water and come back up and celebrate that you, you recognize Jesus is supreme in your life for the first time publicly, and you need to declare that before uh, the world. And so whatever it is for you, I want you to take your, your next step in maturing in Jesus Christ as we look at the supremacy of Christ in the book of Colossians. And so here's what we're going to do today. We're going to get ready for maturity. We're going to get ready for maturity. So a lot of us have a lot of work to do in this area, but we've got to start somewhere. And so here's how I want you to get ready for maturity. We're going to see our, our first point. You can put that slide up now is that if we're going to get ready for this kind of maturity in Christ, to take our next step, our first step is we have to come under an authoritative message. And we see that in verse 1. Look at it with me. It says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. So that's Paul, the author of this letter. It says he's alongside Timothy. Great name, great guy, I'm sure. Just my opinion, though. Uh, Paul writes this with Timothy. Paul's the primary author. Timothy's alongside him. Uh, but Paul didn't always write letters to churches. and He wasn't always this guy that we see in the book of Colossians. We see another guy in the book of Acts. In chapter 7 and 8 specifically, we see a guy in Saul. That was his name previous to Paul. A guy in Saul who wasn't proclaiming Jesus. He was persecuting Jesus and Christians. He was killing Christians. If you know the story of Stephen, Paul holds their coats while they throw rocks and kill Stephen, a representative of God. And so some of you think, well, I know who Paul is. Some of you don't have a context for who Paul is. Paul was transformed by Jesus Christ, by the supremacy of Christ in his life. And so he goes from being someone who is persecuting the church to someone who is proclaiming Jesus to the church Into the world. So that's Paul. He's saved by Jesus in Acts chapter 9. You can read about it. The resurrected Christ shows up to him in person. He saves him, but he also sends him. And that's where this title that you see in the text, verse 1, Apostle, comes in. Apostle literally means sent one. But he's not just sent by anybody. Look at the text with me. He's an apostle of who? Christ Jesus. By the will of God. So it's here we see this is an authoritative message. Right? And if you think about it, messages are important. Uh, this week I was watching uh, a lecture online because I'm a pastor and I do weird things like that. Uh, and I'm watching this lecture and it's talking about being married to the message and being flexible with the model. And so we're married to the message as leaders in the Christian church of we hold to the gospel, we stand firm, we uphold truth, right? We're married to the message of Jesus Christ. It never changes. Our methods are more flexible, right? So that was the synopsis of the video. So I'm watching that, and it's on autoplay. And so the next video that shows up on YouTube for me is this uh, seemingly unrelated topic about how you can save your marriage through text messages, the connection there, right? So that's not really what I was wanting. That wasn't related for me, but YouTube thought it was, right? So I just, I'm married, and if a text message can save my marriage, I mean, I want to check that out, amen? Right? So I kept watching, and I took some notes. So here's a few text messages. This is free tip for you that can save your marriage, apparently. The first one was this. If you text your spouse this, it will save your marriage. You ready? Can't wait to see you Babe, can you imagine what it's going to feel like when I wrap my arms around you later tonight? Messes that will save your marriage. Another one, my favorite, uh, was, "Do you remember when we were in Paris?" Now, you have to have been in Paris, so don't mess up on that, because she might think there's another lady involved. I still remember what you looked like in that blue dress. Again, make sure it's a blue dress, right? Don't say red dress if it wasn't blue. Um, There's importance in messages, right? Now, I would beg to differ from this guy. I don't know if you can save your marriage through those messages, right? But the reality is there's importance in messages, and, and Paul is giving us a message. And it's not just any message. It's not just a text message to save your marriage that he got off YouTube. This message, as we look at the text, is from Jesus Christ, by the will of God. And so here's what that looks like practically. If you have a Bible, you can grab it and do this with me. Hopefully you have a Bible in church. Grab your Bible. Grab your phone. Light it up. Here's what this means. And it all fits under the supremacy of Christ. All right, if Christ is supreme over all creation, he's supreme over our life, and we have a word, a message directly from him, then our position related to Scripture is not on top of Scripture. It's under Scripture. That all of our life, if you can picture it, if you can hold your Bible up and picture it, all of your life fits up under this authoritative message. That other messages, some are significant, some are not. This is the ultimate authoritative message because it comes from the ultimate Jesus Christ, who's supreme over all. And so when I was in seminary, some guys would say this, and it was of good intent. They would say, you know, what we really want to do is palm the scriptures like a basketball. Like we want to just be able to palm them. And what they were meaning is they want to memorize scripture, soak it in, meditate on it, so much so that you could just rattle off a verse, just like palming a basketball. You're just like, I got this. Revelation, know what that's about, palming the Bible. And it was of good intent because the desire was to know our our Bibles, and that's a very good thing. But the reality is it needs to be flipped. That if we see that we are under this authoritative message of a supreme Jesus Christ over all the universe, and we have his words and we fit up under his words, that really we don't need to palm the Bible. The Bible needs to palm us, right? Right? That we need to be so soaked into Scripture that all of our life is under it. It's under its authority. And listen, I know that's not a popular topic in our day. We don't like thinking about being under authority. We like freedom, independence, let it go, frozen. That whole song is about independence, getting away from authority. I don't care what anybody has to say about me. But what we see in Scripture and in all of Scripture and in the book of Colossians, this is a message of Jesus Christ, who's supreme over all, by the will of God, so we come up under that. It palms us. It informs and affects everything about our life. And so that changes how we read it. It changes how we hear it. It's not an op-ed piece in the New York Times that you agree with or disagree with. It's not a commentator on Fox News or CNN, whichever one you watch. No judgment here. All right, it's not an op-ed piece in the New York Times. It's not a commentator on a news channel. It's not your social media blurbs that you read and you hear and you see. And you think, I don't know if I agree with that. I'm not sure that's true. I don't know if I like that. I don't know if I'm going to respond to that that this message is different, that we come up under the message of the Bible. And so everything it says, it's not that we always have to just immediately go do it. We should wrestle with it. We should dissect it. We should study it. We should tell God when we doubt, absolutely. But ultimately, the place you fit is up under this authoritative message, right? Because it's from Jesus Christ, who is supreme, who is preeminent, who's first and best, And we have his words. Uh, This is important because there are competing messages. There were competing messages in this day. Uh, One of those was called Gnosticism. So, as Paul writes this letter, he was addressing this Gnosticism, this competing message from the message of Jesus Christ. Uh, Gnosticism comes from the root word gnosis, which means knowledge. So, some of the things they said was, hey, Jesus is great, Uh, he's important. But no way he's preeminent. Jesus is great, but you also need to do some other things. And so some of the things you see later on in the book is, hey, you should still reserve uh, these days and these practices. And Paul's going to say, no, no, no. That's not what saves you. It's only by Jesus. It's not by your works. It's not by your knowledge. It's receiving this free gift of Jesus Christ. He's going to address this competing message of Gnosticism, another thing about Gnosticism, they believe that all the material world was evil. So just track with me here. This is a little theological, but all the material world is evil. And so if God is good and the material world is evil, well, then a good God couldn't have put his hands in the mix and created that world. So, so maybe he didn't create the world, maybe some other being created the world. And he's sure if God is good and the material world is evil, he sure could not come to the world. He sure could not become a man. And so you see Paul address that competing message with the gospel message and say, Jesus, the fullness of deity was pleased to dwell in the bodily form of Jesus. Paul says that. And you need to know as his audience heard that with these competing messages and false teachers, they would have gasped. A good God comes to be a man, and the fullness of the deity dwells in the body, that's evil. And so Paul's going to correct that and say, no, God is fully man, fully God, and he's Jesus Christ. Another competing message that they had was Jewish legalism. And so they had these different days and practices that you had to experience and obey. Uh, It was mixed with mysticism of the day, so it was a little confusing. And so Paul's going to bring clarity. That's why over and over he says, this is who you are in Christ, in Christ. Because it's not about these legalistic things that you do. So they had competing messages. You and I have competing messages. That's why this time, amongst other times where you come under this authoritative message are so important. That's why coming on a Sunday with God's people is so crucial because six days of the week, we are told by ourselves and others competing messages. Right? We're, we're told by that as we drive down the road and see a billboard. You're told by that as you're in Safeway at the checkout line with your daughter, and you're seeing all these images on magazines that you're embarrassed by. You're told by that as you go to class, and your professor just makes a subtle hint that Christianity is false, and how could you ever be so naive to believe that? You're told all the time competing messages to the real message of Jesus Christ. And so when we come in here one day a week, what we're doing is we're all collectively saying, hey, we're going to come under this message. All these competing messages, push those to the side, rebuke them in the name of Jesus. We're going to come under this message. We're going to believe what it says about us. We're going to believe what it says about God. One of the simple prayers I just began praying with my kids at night is, God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for who we are. And we thank you for loving us just as we are. And just in that simple prayer, what we're saying is this message, God, who you are, sovereign, righteous, ruler of the earth, loving gracious. God, we're thankful that you are that way. God, we're thankful that we are who we are, that we are what is going to go on to say, saints, that we are saved, that we're made in your image. We have inherent worth and value, not because of our capacity, but because of our identity in you. God, we're thankful for who you are. We're thankful for who we are. We thank you that you love us just as we are. That's the message of the Bible. That's the message of the gospel. That's the message that Paul proclaims. And the reason we pray that at night with our kids, the reason you need to pray that during the day and at night yourself, the reason you needed to read Scripture and come under this authority is because that's how we fight off the competing messages. The ones that say, hey, my, my identity is wrapped up in my title. My identity is wrapped up in my position, in success, in pleasure, career, retirement, grades, whatever the case is for you. Those are competing messages. We need to come under the authoritative, authoritative message of Christ alone. When we do that, we're ready to be mature in Christ. That's where it starts. That's where Paul starts. So I know some of us are like, hey, Tim, we're only in verse 1. Like, are you sure you see all this in the passage? I mean, these are the verses I glaze over when I read the Bible. I know you do. It's church. You can be honest, right? But we don't need to glaze over these. These aren't throwaway lines. This is setting the stage for the supremacy of Christ and us growing up in him. And we have to see that we are under an authoritative message. Our second point is this that we are granted an anointed position. We see that in verse 2. Look at that verse with me. It says, To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. So this is a letter to a church written in a particular city. Scholars, theologians I respect, pastors that I listen to, they all call this city a little bit different name. It's a tough thing to pronounce. And so some people call it Colossae. Some people call it Colossae. I call it Colossae, tomato, tomato, whatever you want to call It's fine. But they're in this city, Colossae. This is modern-day Turkey. It's about 100 miles from Ephesus. The reason that's significant is Paul had never been to this city, Colossae. He had been to a city of Ephesus. That's where we get the book Ephesians. Colossians and Ephesians, if you read them, are very similar in nature. They talk about, they address some of the same things. Ephesians addresses the body of Christ. Colossians addresses the head of the body of Christ, which is Jesus himself. So these letters are somewhat similar. Paul had been in Ephesus preaching the gospel, planting churches. He had not been in Colossae, but someone else had. His name was Epaphras. You see this guy named Epaphras twice in this book. You see him talked about in chapter 1 and chapter 4. In chapter 4, specifically, we see that he says, Epaphras is one of you. And so Colossae was his hometown. So scholars believe that Epaphras would have been in Ephesus, hearing Paul preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, this authoritative message, and his life was changed. He was saved, and God sent him back to his hometown of Colossae, and he started this church. And now Paul, as he goes back and forth with Epaphras, speaks this message into this church at Colossae. And here's what's amazing about this authoritative message that leads us to this anointed people, is it spreads, it multiplies, despite obstacles. I mean, just think about the obstacles these guys were facing. Epaphras, as he starts this church as a new believer, We think at this time Colossians is probably a three to four year old church, which is the same age as our church. But we have the Bible, the full counsel of God's word. We have 2,000 years of it sustaining all of that. They didn't have that. Epaphras didn't have that. He didn't have Snapchat. He didn't have FaceTime to hit up Paul when he got discouraged. He had to go 100 miles To Ephesus, students, I know that's hard to believe, a reality where Snapchat doesn't exist. But this was their reality. There were obstacles just in Paul's relationship to Epaphras to get this church started. Paul is in prison when he writes this. That's not the best headquarters for a movement, right? He's in prison as he writes this letter and a few other letters in the Bible that are called the prison epistles, Not the best headquarters to start a movement, a wave of Christianity and church planning that would take over the world. But that's the context. Not only that, there's false teaching that we already mentioned. It's infiltrated these baby Christians, this brand new church, and they're having to navigate that. And so there's lots of obstacles in play, but because this message is so authoritative, so powerful... Because Paul has responded to that. Because Epaphras has responded to that. It's not only working in them, it's working through them. And God is changing people in that process because this gospel message multiplies. And it does so through, it says, saints and faithful brothers in Colossae. If you have a Bible, I want you to highlight that word, saints, in your Bible. You can do that on your app, possibly, maybe. That word saints is significant. This is the name that Paul gives to these believers in Christ at Colossae. This is the name that you are given if you have trusted in Jesus Christ yourself. And this is so crucial because there is so much confusion around our name as Christians, isn't there? I mean, we call Christians all sorts of things in our day. We call them evangelicals. We talk about an evangelical vote. And so maybe you haven't been in church, but you've heard that word just because you do watch the news. We're all called lots of different names, and those names mean different things. You, as a kid, call other people names and are called names. You call people names like she's a know-it-all. I have three kids. I've heard all these. You call people, oh, she's she's my friend. That's her name. You call someone, maybe you guys can relate to this now in high school. You call someone, well, they're an athlete. Well, they're an artist. I don't really understand them. But understand the athletes, there's artists, there's techies. We have all kinds of names. There's varsity, there's junior varsity, there's successful, there's failures. I know one of the things with my kids, we're telling them not to use these words of dummy. Because they'll say, hey, so-and-so, they're a dummy. Or sometimes they'll say about themselves, I'm just a dummy. And they'll call themselves that name five years old. Seems harmless, right? Right? But the names we call ourselves, the names we call the people are massively important, right? What we are called as Christians is massively important because a name is associated with your identity. And so Paul could have used a lot of names here to talk to these Christians, couldn't he? He could have just said to the church at Colossae. He could have just said to the Christians at Colossae. He could have just said to... to the people who have believed in Jesus. But he calls them saints. He calls you saint. That word saint means holy, set apart, consecrated, anointed. It's the idea that there's a majority of people right here, and the saints are moved out of that majority into the minority. You're set apart, consecrated, anointed. Uh, This week, uh, a group of us went to Houston, Texas, to help with Harvey Relief on a mission trip. And it was an amazing trip. Uh, Someone got saved on that trip. It was an awesome, awesome thing. We got to help build a home. Uh, I didn't screw that up, which that's amazing and a miracle in itself. So it was an amazing trip, but on our way back, we had an adventure. Uh, We were flying standby, which is living on the edge, if you've ever flown standby. It's like going to Vegas. And uh, we go to the airport at 5 a.m. in Houston, all psyched about this trip and all that God did. We get in line and we say, hey, do you have a spot for us? And they're like, you know, we'll see, but it's not likely. And if you've ever flown standby, standby, sometimes they say that. And then the next minute they're like, no, 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 you're on. And then they're like, no, you're off. And then you're on again. So it's a little bit crazy. And so we were kind of thinking, okay, well, maybe we'll see what happens. And, and so we're standing there waiting, seeing if our name is going to be called. And eventually they're like, listen. You would do better to go somewhere else, fly somewhere else, rearrange your flights, even drive to Phoenix because it's not happening this flight or any other flight today. There's a lot going on in the Houston airport, I guess. And so we have to make this decision, our team that was there, okay, we're going to drive 18 hours to Phoenix. We've done that. We did that on the way here. We did not like that. Are we going to do that back? And is that going to get us back by tomorrow? Or can we fly somewhere else? We have an American Airlines appointment, uh, employee in our church. Thank God for him, Jesse Johnson. And and he's talking to us and trying to navigate other places we can fly. And so maybe we can fly to Pennsylvania or Colorado or somewhere else and then fly to Phoenix after that. Well, all that stuff is a no go. So we realize we need to change airports and drive to the DFW airport in Dallas. So we rent a car, we drive to that that airport in Dallas, and on the whole way there, we're working the, the lines with Jesse. We're like, hey, can we fly here? Can we fly to Tucson? Can we fly here? Do you think we can get on here? It was crazy. So we show up at the airport. We finally figure out maybe we can get on this Tucson flight. And as we walk up, we were in a rush because we had just driven from Houston to Dallas, which is about a four-hour drive. We walk up to the guest services desk at the gate, and we say, hey, do you have a spot for us? And they said, yes. Here's your boarding passes right here. Our names were on the list. We had a check next to them, which is a good sign. And she gave us our boarding passes. And we didn't even have to wait around and see like, are we in? Are we out? Is it going to happen or is it not? Did we get the winning lotto ticket or did we not? We just immediately knew we're in. Here's your boarding pass to prove that. You see, as Paul calls us saints, that's what he's displaying. That you are set apart your boarding pass has been printed, not just for heaven one day, but for eternal life today. And you are secure in that, accepting in that. And so all that time when we felt that whole day, it took us 5 a.m. to 11 p.m. to get home. And all those hours were like, I don't know. I don't know if we're going to be accepted. I don't know if we're going to get in. And you know what that feels like. Imagine what that feels like when eternity is at stake. And you know that. And then imagine being told, you're in. You're set apart. We have a ticket for you. It's not based on you. It's based on, entirely on the work of Jesus Christ on your behalf. You're set apart. You're a saint. Names are incredibly important. Amen? This is the name Paul gives us, is saints. Saints. And that has massive implications. It means we are secure. I heard one pastor say it this way, you're either a saint or ain't, but there's no in between. So if you have trusted in Jesus Christ, you are set apart. You have been moved from of the majority to the minority, and there's nothing that can change that. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit of God, Ephesians 1 says. You're secure. You're also accepted that as saints that we don't work for acceptance. We work from acceptance. Right? Everything you do, everything this book is going to call you to do in your relationships, in your behavior, it's not for acceptance, it's from acceptance. Massive difference. Right? How many of us all the time, you, you know you know Jesus, you know you're secure, set apart, but you're just turning your wheels. I say it all the time, we're like ducks. Like on the surface, everything looks kind of calm. We're like, hey, how are you doing? Good. Okay, good. I'm going to heaven when I die. I think I know Jesus. Everything's good. Praise Jesus. But underneath the water, your little legs are just churning, working, hoping, God, am I good enough? Am I accepted? And can I just tell you today, if you know all the book of Colossians, maybe you memorized it as a kid. If you knew how to find it in your table of content, or without your table of contents or if you had to look on with a friend or pull it up on an app, whatever the case is, if you grew up in the church, born in a pew, if you just met Jesus a few weeks ago, no matter what your, uh, no matter what your status is, this is your position. It's an anointed position. You are a saint because of the supremacy of Christ who came, who did become a man and died for you, you are set apart, secure, and accepted by Jesus. All right. So if we're going to get ready for maturity, we have to see this authoritative message come under it. We have to be granted this anointed position that you have been granted in Jesus. You have to believe that functionally and walk in it. So what? Like if those things are true, if we're going to get ready for maturity, so what? Well, that's what we're going to spend the rest of our couple months in Ephesians looking at. What does this look like to take next steps in maturity? But I can tell you this, just from looking at the whole of Colossians, there's a lot of similarities, and we can take their next steps. Right In Colossians, it was a little town in the middle of a big region. Colossians was not a big city. Some would say it's an unimportant city. It wasn't like Ephesus. Ephesus was a port city, lots of stuff going in and out of there. Colossians was 100 miles away smaller city, seemingly insignificant. We are in a smaller auditorium in a part of our city where a lot of people come. It's a growing part of our city, but some people, if you go up north, I preached at another church at Carefree Highway, which is really far north Phoenix, and as I explained to them after the two services, hey, I'm Phoenix Bible, downtown Phoenix, they were just like, where? Like literally, they were like, South Phoenix? Like, is that over by the 17th? I'm like, You've never been to downtown Phoenix? Like we have major sports teams that play there. And I'm like, no, I haven't. <laughs> so we're in a seemingly smaller part of a city, a big region, right? Fifth largest city in the world. But we're in a smaller part, smaller auditorium, don't have our own building. Most people don't even know we're here. We need to change that. Get a building. Right? But we're similar to Colossians in that way. The Colossians church probably three to four years old, newer Christians, newer church, newer leader. Sound familiar? Colossians is about people taking their next step in maturity. We are called to do the same. So some of you, it's be here. Some of you, it's lock arms in a community group and study this book and work out everything we're going to talk about on Sundays in your life throughout the week. Some of you, it is baptism and declaring, I believe that Jesus is supreme, preeminent, first and best in my life. I've never shown that. I was baptized as a baby, never since I trusted in Jesus Christ. And you need to be baptized on Easter. Some of you, it's, it's reading scripture, sitting down with your spouse and saying, hey, what do we read? How about Colossians? We're going through that on Sunday. Let's, let's dive into that and see how that informs and affects everything in our life. Whatever it is for you, my prayer is that you take a next step just like these guys were called to do in the book of Colossians. I'm going to invite the band back up as we close our time. Uh, We're going to receive an offering, and we're going to take communion. So we're going to continue to worship. We've just worshiped through song. We've worshiped through the proclamation of God's word. Now we're going to continue to worship and respond to this truth by receiving an offering by taking communion. And so if you, if you know Jesus and are in Christ, he's not just important, he's preeminent. He's first and best over all of creation, and that should be the case in your life. What better way to respond to that truth than offering, than our finances? If Jesus is first and best over all of creation, he sure is first and best over our wallet. Right, That would be one of the things that fits underneath God's word and his authority in our lives. And so as we give, you need to know, we give every Sunday. We don't give out of obligation. We give because we're overwhelmed that Jesus is first and best, worthy of everything in our lives. And so we give financially out of that. Then we're going to take communion. To see this anointed position hasn't been worked for. It's been granted to us through the cross of Christ. So if you're in Christ, we invite you to come, partake in communion, dip the bread in the juice or the wine, pray together, repent of sin, look to Jesus, who is supreme over all. And think about, what's my next step? That's the challenge for today, to recognize Jesus as supreme and to take your next step in maturity in him. Let's do that together. Father in heaven. Thank you for this morning. I thank you for these men and women, the ones from Texas who drove a long, long way to get here, the ones who maybe just drove down the street, the ones who met you when they were eight years old, the ones who are considering trusting in you even in this moment. God, I know those people are in here. I know that not all of us have trusted in you as supreme in our life. Personally, maybe we've heard about that, But we've never stepped, and that's our first step in maturity, is to step into a relationship with you. So God, I pray for that man or woman or child that in this moment, they would not hear the competing messages of like, I don't know if this is for real, or I don't know if you should do this. They would take this step of this message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they would plant their flag there. They would trust in you and just confess of their sin even now. Stop listening to me. Start talking to you. That's my prayer. God, I pray for the ones who do know you already that we would see what is our next step. All of us, no matter how mature we are in Christ, there's next steps we can take. And so I pray that you would illuminate that to us and help us to do that collectively as the body of Christ as we continue to worship you and study this great, great book of Colossians. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us your authoritative message and for an anointed position that we can rest in and celebrate in this morning. It's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen.